welcome to the Ages Comics of Alaska podcast, where we tell Alaskans what to put in their box at Alaska's comic book shop. I always wished I could do something better than comics, but there didn't seem to be anything. This is the Ages Comics of Alaska podcast, and now your hosts, Lou and Amy Joe. Hey, what's going on, guys? Welcome to the show. Welcome to Heroes Without Cape podcast. We hope you guys are doing good. Uh, Amy's up working right now, so it's me running the show today. Uh, We put out new episodes every week, and this is where we recognize the good and the bad, uh, the people that are out there helping people every day, risking their lives every day, those Heroes Without Capes. And then we kind of identify the problems that way, hopefully, those same heroes have the tools to solve those problems. So I'm kind of oversimplifying it, but you get the gist if you've been listening to the podcast for the last couple of uh, episodes. So before we get started, as always, we got to give a shout out to our sponsor because that's how we try to support this show. And of course, if you're ever interested in becoming a sponsor or if you uh, want to share this information with others, Uh, Please feel free. You can also just join our Patreon. There's also a link in the description where uh, you can become a sponsor as well. So we appreciate you. And here's our shout out to uh, Popple. So Popple, once again, it is the replacement for business cards. They just did a new update where you can actually not only create and send a QR code, you can also send the link from your phone via text message or email to your prospective client. So once again, it's an electronic business card. Uh, No need to pay to print cards anymore. You can save a couple of trees and get your message out there to the people that you are trying to recruit, whether to recruit them as a customer or recruit them. Maybe uh, you're in HR and you're looking for new recruits or you're just trying to network. This is the most modern way to do it. The other thing that's really cool right now is they just did an update where you can also create a um, essentially like a virtual business card that goes in your Apple wallet. Great tool right now. If you use our code at checkout, Heroes AK, that's Heroes AK, you get 20% off. And I believe they have a promotion right now. Just by clicking the link in the description below, you'll get up to, I think, an additional 40% off. So check out Popple today. All right, straight to the show. So today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, the specialized teams. For those of you that have been keeping up with our episodes, we've been uh, our last episode we talked a little bit about the Wire. This uh, this series from HBO. It's uh, really gritty. It talks about the drug war in Baltimore. Uh, organized crime, and of course, uh, how law enforcement reacts to these things. But it's really dark, very realistic. Um, And unfortunately, many uh, jurisdictions mirror what's going on in the show The Wire. Interestingly enough, you're talking about a show that uh, launched just shortly after 9-11. So you see a lot of those 9-11 cues in there, and you watch the technology as it goes from pay phones to cell phones to pagers to texting and how law enforcement had to keep adapting the burner phones and you know which are those disposable phones that you could buy at a gas station for you know 20 bucks that were preloaded and how law enforcement had to adapt to that but the dark side of it 
so season one, uh, and Amy and I have been following up on it, and I got to be careful because uh, Amy, uh, I'm slightly ahead of her in watching the show right now, so I got to be careful about spoilers, but it's five seasons. The first season has to do with uh, the ground level narcotics and the development of narcotics organizations at the street level where they get their supplies. The uh, second season, which we kind of touched on our last uh, podcast episode, is the corruption at the source point, which in this case, the, the port. So the port of Baltimore, a big uh, uh, influx of where these ground level organizations, these gangs and whatnot get their drugs from, where they're getting them from Colombia, Mexico, and other source countries. Then um, season three has to deal with the politics. And ironically, we we just went through uh, uh, an election cycle right now, the midterms. And it will open your eyes to what goes on uh, between law enforcement, especially when you have political appointed leadership at both the DA's office, the attorney general's office, and at these departments, your chief executives, your commissioner, your colonel, your chiefs of police, uh, your directors, they're all political appointees, your uh, commissioner for uh, corrections. These are all appointees, chief of police for uh, uh, chief of police for Anchorage Police Department, Fairbanks Police Department, Dillingham Police Department, Juneau Police Department. These are all political appointees that answer to a chief of staff, who then answers to a mayor or a governor, depending on uh, whether it's state or uh, or local or municipal. Very dirty stuff. And then uh, I'm currently slightly ahead of uh, Amy. I am, and uh, I just started season four. And season four is dealing with the school, uh, with the school system, and how all of this affects the kids in school, and how a lot of these organizations recruit from the schools, and of course how politics affect what success or failures the school district uh, experiences, and we're seeing that up here right now in Alaska. So. Uh, one of the things, uh, so I can give you my source material of, uh, uh, of my knowledge on the topic of leadership and management and selection, retention uh, uh, of, of law enforcement officers. I had the honor of meeting uh, Dr. Patrick Oliver. Dr. Patrick Oliver is the author of this book here, Recruitment Selection and Retention of Law Enforcement Officers. Now, this book the cover, the, the title of the book tells you everything uh, that is inside the book. But it is uh, interesting in that the person who provides the source for this is Dr. Patrick Oliver. Now, Dr. Patrick Oliver, who I had the honor of meeting at uh, the National Organization of Black Law Enforcement Executives, he is a international of chiefs of police, police mentor. He has been the chief of police for three departments. He, unlike Brinke and Wilson, has never been terminated from a position. He's the guy that people like Brinke and Wilson and French and all the other scumbaggery in law enforcement, the Brittany Patskys and her husband, this is the guy that they're terrified of. And I add some, some uh, interesting info to that because... Uh, when I brought him up here, I was the uh, acting chairman of the Alaska Police Standards Council. And so I brought him up here to provide training to 
recruitment. And we ended up providing training to all of the recruitment units uh, uh, that wish to send people. So APD showed up. I, I think a couple other agencies showed up. And um, because it was APC sponsored, Brittany Patsky lost her mind for two reasons. Number one, she was upset that he was a African-American doctor. She just presumed because of the title of doctor, it was automatically a white dude, uh, which shouldn't even be an issue in modern days, but it was to her. And he also comes from, uh, uh, right now he's a professor at uh, Cedarville University in Ohio. And so he is a professor and director of their criminal justice program. And uh, it is a faith-based university. So she was really upset that it was faith-based and that uh, uh, he based a lot of the leadership principles for law enforcement on Christian values. And she felt that her scumbag husband would have been a better uh, fit for instructing something like this, which was uh, nonsense. So obviously I prevailed in that. But uh, Dr. Oliver is the guy that the uh, organizations at large uh, that support leadership, executive leadership at departments, he's the guy that they call to fix a department that's in trouble. So when you have a department that has issues like, um, you know, with uh, Ferguson and these other departments uh, that... Uh, or even Baltimore, where they have right now, they're under what's called the consent decree. This is the guy that they typically call to either come in as the chief of police to take over and clean things up, or he's the guy who is definitely in the conversation of providing solid knowledge-based uh, input on how to fix the department, how to create a new culture, and how to put things back on track where the community comes first. Because at the end of the day, it's called public safety. It's not called uh, agency safety. It's not called trooper safety. It's not called cop safety. It's called public safety for a reason. And uh, he also explains, though, of course, that uh, by treating your personnel right, by creating a culture of, uh, of respect and creating a culture of accountability, you end up uh, not only retaining your best, your best officers, but in return, you end up with a group of people that can provide solid services to the public, which is what the whole creation of a department is. That's the whole reason for commissioning a department is to protect the public. So I bring him up because... Uh, the topic for today is um, the specialized units and versus patrol, and then the political implications. So uh, the Alaska State Troopers in particular, and I can speak to them because uh, I was the recruiter for them uh, for, I was probably the longest running uh, recruiter in the history of the department. Um, I held the position of sergeant. I supervised in Dillingham. I was in multiple specialized units from investigations, crisis negotiations. Um, I was uh, part of the Bureau of Highway Patrol. I've been on patrol. I've 
supervised the court security system, ensuring the protection of the courthouse and all of uh, the people that use the courthouses. And um, I can tell you that when Dr. Oliver came up here, it was right in the middle of a crisis that still exists for the department right now. And that crisis is we're under understaffed. The department is drastically understaffed. It is, uh, they just uh, announced, and congratulations to Freddie Wells' outstanding work on his part on recruiting uh, 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 one of the larger classes. I think they had like 22, 23, if not more, recruits in this last class. Uh, uh, Freddie is a, is a man of faith. I have a lot of respect for him. And uh, uh, I know that him and uh, uh, his sergeant, they, they, they put in a lot of work to um, get a class of that size. Unfortunately, the statistics are working against them. So let's call it 25, uh, 25 recruits. Of those 25 recruits, in the next five years, there's probably only going to be approximately seven of them left. Out of that 25, that group of 25, at the five-year mark, so five years from today, there's only going to be between five and seven of them left. Not losing five and seven. They're literally going to lose 20 troopers are going to be gone within the next five years for multiple reasons. Um, the culture, the job, the overwork, uh, the uh, lack of support in rural areas, the, uh, it goes on and on. Dr. Oliver mentioned that the priority of every agency, especially when they're low in manning, is patrol. Patrol is the heart and soul of the department. They are the first contact with the public. Unfortunately, you'll see it in the, in the show The Wire, which is phenomenal how they depict it, and it's spot on. And the person, the creator for The Wire, we talked about in the last episode, he was an investigative reporter that was assigned to report on the Baltimore Police Department and what was going on within and outside of the department. So he had first line, uh, uh, first hand observations, information on what was going on, writes several books about it, his observations, and then get, it gets picked up for a series. So um, patrol is drastically undermanned. I'm preaching to the choir. If you're law enforcement and you're watching this, especially if uh, you're a, a trooper or WPD or PPD or JPD or uh, Fairbanks or APD, you know that you're undermanned right now. In Palmer, I bet you right now there's probably four troopers. Let's give, I'll be generous, five troopers patrolling an area the size of West Virginia right now when there should be about 20 troopers doing it right now. Um, if, if APD was manning the Matsu Valley, APD would probably have about 50 to 60 officers on duty per shift. That's just how you handle a situation like that. But uh, uh, that's not how DPS can handle it because they don't have the manpower. They put priority on specialized units. The reason you have specialized units, for instance, uh, uh, one of the primary units that you'll see mentioned a lot is the Special em uh, Emergency uh, Response Team, which is uh, CERT, Special Emergency Response Team. That's your SWAT team, that, uh, for layman's term. That's the SWAT team. 
So the Special Emergency React uh, Response Team, uh, now they're made up of troopers on patrol and also in other units like the Narcotics Unit, Alaska Bureau of Investigation, so on and so forth. These troopers um, get the best training, the best equipment. The team gets the most funding of all the other units in, in the in the department, bar none. The reason for that is because this unit and the narcotics unit, and the narcotics unit is a major player in the department because the narcotics unit, if you look historically for my troopers that listen to the show, you know what I'm talking about. The narcotics unit for decades ran the department. The narcotics unit, uh, you couldn't be a colonel unless you were in the narcotics unit first. Uh, the fact that uh, uh, the current colonels we have, uh, it's kind of an anomaly that they don't have that background, but I think it's uh, mostly because the new com- the new commissioner, uh, he comes from a different background, thank God. But uh, I'm not crapping on the narcotics unit, but I am crapping on the culture behind them. So... And this is, comes from a person from a counter-narcotics background. So um, let me justify that real quick. So when I was in the Coast Guard, I was on the tactical law enforcement team. Counter-narcotics uh, was one of the units I was at. I was at the uh, Pacific Tactical Law Enforcement Team. We received all our funding from uh, ONDCP, the Office of National Drug Control Policy, so when the rest of the Coast Guard would go through funding issues, because it seems like every couple of years, the jackasses and the elephants don't get along, and then they start holding the budget hostage. And the first thing that suffers is search and rescue, um, marine safety, and other missions, in this case for the Coast Guard, right? So all of a sudden you have cutters that can't get underway, Search and rescue assets that can't do any preventative patrols. They can only be responsive because they don't have the money for fuel. Never an issue for the narcotics units. When cutters were damn near welded to the docks while they were waiting for a new budget, my team was constantly funded, constantly deploying. While the Coast Guard cutter Jarvis and the Coast Guard cutter Hamilton were not allowed to get underway due to budget constraints. My team was off the coast of Colombia. We were in Mexico. We were in Panama conducting full-blown operations, fully funded with the best toys, the best uniforms, the best gear. I can explain that by going back to the topic of the narcs uh, and then CERT. So the narcs, in particular with DPS, those are the guys that are your headliners. Those are the guys that immediately the chief of staff on behalf of the governor can look to for when the crime rate starts skyrocketing. When the village of Selowick or the village of Norvik or Bristol Bay starts uh, rate, you know, waving the flag that they're in trouble, that they're experiencing high crime rates, and all of a sudden we're going into an election the chief of staff on behalf of the governor can approach 
the Department of Public Safety and start showing major gains in statistics on what these teams are doing for them. Because these are the teams, when a narcotics bust happens, you know, when you have a kilo get seized at the airport, that is front page news, that is ADN, that is uh, on the five o'clock news, that is the headliner on the five o'clock news on, uh, on all the news networks up here. Everybody knows that. And it immediately allows the governor to have something that a platform that he can jump on and say, you see, I'm doing things. I'm actually keeping the community safe. When in fact, he stopped one kilo, but 30 other kilos got through the port of Anchorage. Another 100 kilos came in through aircraft and all other uh, manners of transportation. So there's not, it, it, it's a false flag, but the narcotics unit allows the governor and his staff to be able to show gains. The dark side to that, like I've mentioned before with like the criminal intelligence unit led by uh, Scott Bartlett, some of that stuff that the narcotics unit does and the intelligence unit does, although not intentionally by the ground the, the ground impounders, the investigators out in the field that are kicking ass, taking names, risking their lives, doing undercover buys, uh, doing uh, 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 stakeouts, the whole nine. But the leadership, unfortunately, the leadership garners a lot of intelligence from these operations, especially once they start following the money. They now know... Which lawmaker's brother or sister is hooked on cocaine or fentanyl or heroin? They now know which lawmaker, public figure, uh, maybe the coordinator for a program or, you know, some business owner that's an enemy of the current uh, administration. They now know, hey, whose son, whose daughter, whose sister, whose brother, whose mother or maybe themselves that are addicted to controlled substances. And they use it to weaponize that information in a nefarious manner to harm these people or to hold them at bay and to hold them hostage. If any of you think that that's not happening, you're being naive. And I'm telling you that it does happen. For those of you that know me personally, you know me to be an honest an honest person. I get no gain from making a statement like this. It breaks my heart that it's happening. We know it's been happening for decades. Um, I had a Senator Shower uh, uh, on the show a while back and we actually spoke about this. Uh, well, I spoke to him about it because he had no idea that this stuff was going on. So these units like CERT, the narcs, can be used as political flag waves for the current administration to demonstrate success. Because when you go to take down a drug house or uh, a dangerous individual, CERT, the SWAT team, is what goes and engages these people and takes down these, uh, these locations, right? 
The problem is once the leadership and the supervision at these particular units realize the power that they've been given, and remember there's a saying that absolute power corrupts absolutely. Once they realize that they have that power, sometimes they get drunk on it. And sometimes they don't want to give that power up. And it starts developing other bad things, cover-ups. Uh, it creates a clique, a special organization within an organization. The CERT members, many of them are close friends of mine. Every so often you have a bad egg. It's a very small percentage. I need to be very clear that at no time am I saying that these units are filled with corrupt people. I'm not saying that. That's far from the truth. I have some of these guys that come to my home to this day. I break bread with them. These guys are brothers and sisters to me. I'm not saying that. So please don't twist my words. What I am saying is that every so often you'll get a bad, a bad apple. That 1% or statistically speaking, that half a percentile shows up, sees the opportunity and uses it for their own personal gain. Vance Peranto, who was a friend of mine. Every time we saw each other, hugged it out. It's my boy. He's the one who got picked up a couple of years ago for uh, uh, soliciting a minor for sex. The things that the public don't know um, about that one is that, well, some of you may know, but most of you, uh, the public at large don't know, uh, that uh, Vance was actually in town conducting CERT training. He was a member of CERT. And they were doing joint operation, joint training uh, in the Anchorage area. That's why he was in Anchorage in the first place. Um, there's three teams for the state of Alaska. There is the, the Soldatna team, the Fairbanks team, and the Palmer team. Those are your three teams. They go by uh, South Central, Fairbanks, and uh, the Soldatna team. So they're all training with APD. The word comes down that he needs to get taken down. He needs to be arrested. They realize that there's some dispute among them because not all of them, but there is some dispute. I don't know if it was Wegsen or one of the other guys, but, you know, because Wegsen's ride or die for CERT members, irregardless of what evidence is out there, whatever, he's ride or die from. And uh, um, he's very loyal to his boys there for better or for worse, and Chan, the same way, Andy Gorn, the same way, uh, Scott Bartlett, the same way. They're all loyal to those guys to the point that it's a, a, it gets a little crooked, and I'll explain. Some of the guys are already questioning the validity of the, uh, of the warrant, of the arrest warrant, and whether or not Vance is being set up and this, that, and other thing. We get it. Here's the thing, though. If you're going to get a warrant, in particular, to arrest a law enforcement officer, you know 
you know you have probable cause for that. No judge signs off on that lightly. This is a, a, a conservative state. Uh, no judge is going to just lightly, just dismissively just sign off on an arrest warrant, especially on a law enforcement officer with the decades of service that Vance had. So a very intelligent decision is made, and they realize because of the fact that there may be a potential conflict of interest, APD goes and uh, does the takedown instead. They go with their SWAT team and they do the takedown. Everything happens uh, uh, safely. He gets taken into custody. Um, and that's pretty much all you hear about uh, in the news. This thing is gone dead right now. There's rumors right now that now that nobody's looking, that the public's not looking at this case. No one's been talking about the case for several years now because, you know, the, these cases take years to prosecute. There's a good chance that he's not going to do any jail time and he's going to, uh, hell, they might even dismiss it because nobody's looking. So uh, I bring this up so that people understand that there's a young, there's a young minor woman, uh, young, excuse me, a young girl. Uh, I forget her age. I think she was 15 or 16 and uh, uh, clearly a minor. He's in a position of authority, which makes it clearly illegal, it makes it a felony makes it a sexual assault and or attempted sexual assault in this because uh, uh, he thought when when APD SWAT knocked on his door at the hotel, he thought it was her. He didn't know that the SWAT team was coming to get him. Um, before you jump on the Vance bandwagon, just remember that there's a dad who reported this in the first place, the dad of that kid who we've spoken about already. And for those of you that have kids, that have a daughter, I want you to put yourselves in that position. I want you to put yourselves in the position of that dad. Do you really give a shit whether the perpetrator's a cop, a teacher, a doctor, or just your stereotypical pedophile? Do you really care at the end of the day Whoever harms your daughter needs to be held accountable. I have a feeling you agree with me when you put when you put things in that context. So I hope that he's held accountable. Fast forward why I'm uh, a little upset today is, you know, uh, you guys, we've spoken about uh, my situation, my lawsuit and uh, uh, how things went. Interestingly enough, there's a lieutenant, retired lieutenant who lives out here in the valley right now. He shoots and kills an individual during a standoff. He was a member of CERT and he was a sniper for the CERT for the special emergency re uh, response team. This lieutenant, after popping positive for cocaine, with a history of not only usage, alleged usage of cocaine, but also uh, at one point it was reported to the department uh, from the Las Vegas Police Department, the Las Vegas Metro, that he had been found with a prostitute that was also in possession of cocaine. 
in a hotel room in Vegas. Uh, Vegas Metro did a courtesy call. I think it went to APD and then APD contacted AST. The public doesn't know anything about that. I'm upset. I'm upset because this guy gets allowed to retire with his credentials, his firearm, at the rank of lieutenant. He's allowed to retire. He still has his credentials with him. Gets stopped and arrested a little over a year ago for driving while under the influence of methamphetamine. Not weed. Not even alcohol. Meth. Meth. I know good people that made the mistake of getting addicted to methamphetamine at a young age. We have a couple of customers at our shop that used to be addicted to meth and have cleaned their lives up. They're now blue collar, working their ass off. But because of their background, they'll never be able to make over a hundred grand a year. They're never going to be able to have the advantages that this lieutenant is still given. He retires. After kind of, it was kind of forced to retire, right? Then, and remember, he killed someone while under the influence of cocaine. The shooting was valid. But nonetheless, he was under the influence of cocaine. No charges brought against him by the DA or the attorney general. He gets caught up DUI, drug DUI, gets arrested. My man was at the Fishhook Bar last night. Drove in in a snow machine because he's not allowed to drive right now. Had his drink, getting his drink on. Got himself a new honey, the whole night. Still living his best life. Can anyone tell me if that's justice or not? I know a guy right now, convicted felon, tattoo artist. Probably one of the most righteous guys I've met. He did his time. He's changed his life. He's married now. Raising a beautiful child. Beautiful wife. Living a good life of faith doing everything right, checking all the boxes. Just pro-American, you know. I, 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 he damn near has an American flag uh, uh, mounted to, to his shoulder. You know, it's crazy. And he doesn't have any of those advantages. And he's 10 times the man that this retired lieutenant is. 10 times the man. I put him up against 10 of him. This is that. I joke, I joke around with my, my buddies in law enforcement. It's kind of your cert mafia, which I find interesting because you have guys right now in that department. One of them that was found to be dishonest in the Palmer courthouse. A guy that I actually really like. I recruited him. But the rules are the rules. He was found to be dishonest by a judge on record in the Palmer Courthouse. The department 
is supposed to report that to the Alaska Police Standards Council and let the Alaska Police Standards Council make the decision on whether he remains certified or not. That's not what happened. The department, because of the fact that the Alaska Police Standards Council is housed within the Department of Public Safety, the Department of Public Safety has the choice of whether they're going to report something to them or not for decertification. So they choose what they're going to send over based off of whether that person is a friend or an enemy of the department. In this particular case, this particular trooper is a member of the CERT and was given a benefit that not many other troopers get in the same situation. I promise you that another trooper that was not on the specialized unit that this would have happened to, that trooper would have been gone. We have a trooper right now, uh, well, a former trooper, uh, who was decertified by the Alaska Police Standards Council. I know that because I was on the council when that happened. It was because he was, dis he, he was found to be dishonest in the Bethel courthouse. That's why he was decertified. There was other allegations. All of that stuff was kicked to the side. The reason he was decertified was because he was found to be dishonest in the Bethel courthouse when he lied during the application for a warrant. And it wasn't, it, it was a lie. So I, I can't, I, I can't, uh, I can't minimize it. It was a lie. If you know the details behind it, some people will kind of weigh it as, eh, was it really that bad? There were some circumstances to it, but at the end of the day, by definition, it was a lie. He lied to a magistrate. So if you're going to fix the department, if you're going to increase the morale of the guys that are out in the field, if you're going to increase the morale of your best performers on the department, you cannot drag along the low performers, the corrupt members of the department. You cannot, cannot make exceptions because of what team they're on or who they're friends with. You can't do that. Garrett Willis, multiple female victims. It should not matter that he was on the Marshall Task Force because the last three guys that were on the Marshall Task Force were fired from the Marshall Task Force. That should tell you everything you need to know about AST sending people that are not uh, really vetted or thoroughly vetted, but rather it's just a hookup to put them on a team uh, on the Marshall Task Force, which is a prestigious federal task force. A lot of heroes without capes on that on that unit. Why would you take shit bags that are low performers or tend to get themselves in trouble? Why would you hide them at a unit like that? It's disrespectful to the uh, for the uh, U.S. Marshal for the state of Alaska. It's completely disrespectful. We need to make this stop. We need to contact our lawmakers. We got to stop this. This stuff needs to stop. The only way you're going to increase retention and recruitment is by holding people accountable, not setting specialized standards. As an example, CERT 
has a special physical fitness standard. It's a SWAT team. They should have the very best physically fit people on that team. I'm not saying that the team shouldn't exist. There's a need for it. But when they realized that some of their buddies couldn't pass the physical fitness test anymore, instead of saying, okay, you're not on the team anymore, they just kept adjusting the standards so that the guys that couldn't physically perform the duties could stay on the team, which is why the Alaska State Troopers cert has never been able to compete in the national SWAT games. They would get their ass kicked because none of them, with few exceptions, now I have a, a couple of personal friends on that team that could absolutely perform at the highest levels at, that, at, at the SWAT games. But the entire team as a whole, no shot. They would get their ass kicked. Um, I think I've ranted long enough about why special treatment like this and priority on special units shouldn't happen versus patrol. If uh, Let me get back to Patrick Oliver real quick, and I'll wrap this up. Dr. Oliver provided a solution to the Department of Public Safety, Anchorage PD, and all the others that were in uh, the leadership uh, portion. It was, there was a manager section, the only managers. The recruitment unit wasn't there. It was just managers. And uh, um, he stated, if I was the commissioner of this agency, the first thing I would do is divert members from specialized units back to patrol because patrol is the priority. This is beneficial on so many levels because now you're taking a person with all this specialized training at the Alaska Bureau of Investigation, homicide investigations, uh, uh, your, your special emergency reaction team, your narcotics team, these guys that have the intel on everybody in the valley and can identify drug usage and know all the players. Now you're putting them back on patrol and they can extend that experience to the new recruits that are in dire need of this type of training and expertise, being able to use a pepper ball gun or other advanced, least, uh, le uh, less than lethal technologies when uh, engaging with uh, somebody in crisis. I mean, there's all kinds of benefits to backfilling your patrol, making patrol the priority, because patrol is the priority. Patrol is where you're losing all of your troopers right now. For the people of the Matsu Valley, the people of Western Alaska, of uh, the Fairbanks area, Southeast, Southwest, uh, uh, Western Alaska, uh, Kenai, you guys are losing law enforcement because the current leadership model is to preserve their employment with the current political administration. And the best way to preserve that employment is by having priority on specialized teams that can create artificial statistics that make that particular governor or mayor look like they're doing their job. When in reality, the face of patrol is what makes your public feel safe. 
Guys, I, I hope that you enjoy this content. If you have any recommendations, if you'd like to be a guest on the show, if I pissed you off, feel free to contact me. You know how to get a hold of me. You can uh, check us out on our website, uh, AgesComicsAlaska.com. That's AgesComicsAlaska.com. If you like what you're seeing, please feel free to uh, like, subscribe, and share this content with your friends and family. If you don't like what you see <laughs> or hear, uh, feel free to give me feedback, man. Uh, I, would, I, I definitely would welcome it. Guys, thank you so much, and we'll see you next week. Take care. You just listened to the Aegis Comics of Alaska's podcast. Don't forget, new episodes drop every week. For more info about Alaska's comic book shop, visit www.aegiscomicsalaska.com.